most wonderful show is Keeping Up With The Joneses. Welcome to episode 180 of Keeping Up With The Joneses, where this week we're having a good old-fashioned Bible study in Romans. Yep, we sure are. Before that, let's catch up on this week. Yeah. It would be accurate to describe this week as crazy. Yes. It started off normal enough. Yes. Monday, we had our good friend Dan Farrelly all the way from Bethel Church in Redding, California. He came in to be with our students and teach on brave communication. We always love having Dan in. He's just a champion, wise man, great friend. Yeah, we've had him on the podcast, haven't we, before? Yeah, we had him about this time last year, I think. If you missed him, I'd really encourage you to go listen to his episode. It's episode 135. You can find that at alanandaj.com slash 135. Brilliant wise man. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he spoke at the school. Amazing. So good. Yep. And then we had him at Emony and he and he spoke on racial harmony in honor of Martin Luther King Day, which was very, very powerful. It was so great. And I mean, I'm sort of ashamed to say it, but I'd never watched the 17 minute video. Uh, Martin Luther King's speech, you mean? Yeah, the whole speech. Like I'd seen portions of it, but I'd never seen the whole thing. Right. Which is brilliant. And I, I spent much of the next day. Uh, watching different videos of him and and reading more stuff because it was it was amazing and inspiring. It was very good. Yeah. And so there concludes the normal part of our week. Yep, that M- was it. Monday. Monday. Because Monday night the snowpocalypse happened. Yes, it did. We we definitely got snow. And being from Canada, we kind of scoff at what passes for snow in Middle Tennessee. Yes. But that did not apply this week. Well, I mean, it. we don't have snow equipment, so a couple of inches can shut down the city pretty effectively. But and and what it I was mean, a couple of inches. So. What I mean by that is when you look outside and snow. everything is white. It was white, yeah. You're like, okay, that's legitimate. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous, but it kind of threw into flux the rest of the plan. It did. Because... Day by day, all the schools closed, so yes. our kids did not go to school for the rest of the week. Yep. We did not know that at the start of the week. Nope. We're trying to work out what our school students do, what our staff do. And anyway, it all got sorted out now that the week is over. But at the time, it was like, how are we going to get Dan to the airport? Is Dan's flight even going to be happening? <laughs> uh, what do we do with our kid? You know, all this And then sort our of friend stuff. had an accident on our hill. Right. And, and I, her kneecap went to the side of her knee. Which was not pretty. <laughs> was not so good. <laughs> we're going to ER. We're going to the ER. We're going to the airport. And, yes. We're calling on our wonderful neighbors to look after our kids. It was all a little bit up in the air. You know, but for those of you that actually listen to our podcast re- regularly and heard the whole Tia story from the summer uh, and me nearly passing out and all of that, I did much better with this particular instance, because there was no blood. Because there was no blood. But I still ran away when they had to relocate her knee, because I was like, can't do it, gotta go. <laughs> yep, I'm brave. <laughs> so we had snow, so much snow, that, so much like snow. I said, schools got cancelled. Yeah. Our kids were very happy. As it happened, we were out of town for much of the week. We were on a leader's advance for the tail end of the week. We got back Friday afternoon, got caught up with the kids, got caught up with Zelda, Admit it, you miss Zelda. I did miss Zelda. I it's I wish that I didn't. I missed the children the most and then <laughs> Zelda. So I'm, at least I'm, that's good. <laughs> I'm slightly worried that you needed <laughs> you felt the need to reinforce that. Like I, it was in question. I well, you know, I just didn't want people to think that I was putting Zelda before the children. Mm-hmm. Although this morning I made them get their own breakfast so that I could play Zelda. <laughs> Before we went to church. <laughs> I'm I'm proud to say I haven't played Zelda all day. Haven't you? Nope. Do you plan to scan all your amiibos tonight before you go to bed? Probably not going to have a chance. 
Oh, babe, that's so sad. You know what? I'm not addicted to it, so I don't feel that pain or sorrow. Okay, so you don't want me to scan your amiibos for you tonight? Let's not go crazy. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, I need to walk in the light. Oh. Today I did a very bad thing. You did a horrible thing. I bought myself a Windows PC. I don't, I don't even know how to process this information. Well, let me clarify. I didn't buy one, and it wasn't for me. At the school, every year, like the week we're about to go into, we're about to teach our students how to prepare and how to deliver uh, a message. Yeah, how to preach a message. How yeah. to speak in public. Yeah. And so one of the things we're very, very keen on is the use of visual aids. And so every year I teach our students how to use Keynote, which is kind of like PowerPoint for a Mac, but a thousand times better. And every year there's a, a section of students who don't have a Mac and uh, have a PC. And, and we don't blame them for this. You know, it's not their fault. You walk in the light of the <laughs> yeah, revelation I mean, you have. It's sad, but, you know, we can deal with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but over the years we've realized, you know, I think initially I was like, nobody uses a PC. I didn't even think about it. And then the more and more we've had students come in with PCs, we're like, well, okay, we actually need to accommodate them. And so, you know, Marcus said, why don't you get a virtual machine which is where you keep your Macintosh, but you can install like a fake version of Windows. And then we realized that wouldn't work Ugh, for a number of reasons. Yuck. And then Apple gives you the opportunity to dual boot your computer, where I could just install Windows on another hard drive and boot up. And so I just thought, actually, by the time I buy a Windows license, which is $110, and an external hard drive, it's a couple hundred bucks. I'm pretty sure I could pick up a laptop for about a couple hundred bucks. So I walk into Best Buy this afternoon there is a Dell laptop for $163. And I'm like... <laughs> that is shocking. With the PowerPoint license on it. Well, yes. Yeah. It, it was sold with Windows 10 and an Office license, um, but they didn't actually have the Office license for it, which is no problem because we have a site license at Gray Center. So I picked up and thought, I'm going to use it once a year. All <laughs> it ever has to do is run Windows. <laughs> and so I came home today and... And it's cobalt blue. It's hideous. <laughs> it is. It is the nastiest piece of fake plastic hardware I've I've ever touched. It looks like a children's laptop, like a like a toy. I know, but I'm I've spent all afternoon refamiliarizing myself with Windows. I'm sorry, darling. Make sure that you sanitize your hands before you come to bed. <laughs> You're horrible. So hopefully it will work tomorrow. It has an HDMI out. That's all I need. I've got my PowerPoint ready. So, students, if you're listening to this, these are the lengths I go to to love you really, really well. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's it's. I spent all afternoon doing system updates on it, which, you know, I don't mind. But I remember you started it up, and, like, five minutes in, you're like, hey, babe, this thing already crashed. And it was, like, not even five minutes of use. Uh, I, I repented of every bitter <laughs> expectation I may have. But, yeah. oh, it's just... Anyway, I don't well, want to. I mean, I when we met, I had a Dell. Yeah. And I just thought that regular crashes were part of everybody's user experience. I had no idea. The thing is, I don't even want to get into this because I'm, I'm trying to not be negative. I had a dream last night where I got rebuked in the kindest of, kindest of ways about, you know, being critical. And I was like, actually, I was praying this morning. I was actually in tears this morning in church, just thinking about the state of my heart. Like, Lord, I actually can't rescue my own heart. I need you to do an amazing work of transformation. So I don't want to be negative. Yes. I don't want to be critical. We bless Dell, Microsoft, and the whole crew. I think it's a great solution. $163 for a computer. And we're never going to lose it because it stands out. (laughs) (laughs) It's never going to blend in. We're not going to be like, what did that thing look like again? (laughs) And it's never going to get stolen because nobody (laughs) would want it. Nobody's going to want it. So it's all good. So (laughs) we're ready to go. (laughs) 
So tell me about, I said to you, what do you want to do the podcast on? You're like, I want to, I want to do a podcast on Romans. I was like, you go girl. Well, I mean, I've, I've spent the last two weeks, uh, on year two speaking about Romans and, and what we do is, uh, we work verse by verse through, uh, you know, book of the Bible. We do, we do a couple books like that. Um, and we just talk about stuff. So stuff that we're stumbling over, stuff that's life to us, stuff that we've never seen before, you know, so we just sort of stop and talk and then we keep going. And um, then we make a whole bunch of declarations out of Romans because Romans is such a powerful book. I was going to say, way to pick a nice, easy read. Just yeah. jump into Romans. Right. Well, we did Ephesians first. That was our soft lunch. But, you I'm know, sure. Ephesians is not much of a soft lunch. <laughs> yeah. Paul's not known for being like... Easy to understand. But I love Paul because he's so straightforward. Right. And he just says things like it is. He's not sugarcoating or just trying to get around anything. He's he's saying things like it is. Mm-hmm. But he has a legit love for the people that he's written the letter to. And so I I I love Paul's writings. So are we going through verse by verse Romans tonight? We are not. I okay. was just going to read out a couple of verses to you that I found particularly impactful and and just sort of see what sort of discussion comes up about them. What do you think about that? I wasn't expecting to have to do anything tonight. I thought I was just going to be the eye candy. Well, you are. You would technically be ear candy, uh, but you can only be ear candy if they can hear your dulcet tones. Hi there. Okay, so just to uh, give everybody listening a little bit of history on Romans, because it's really important actually to understand the context of what you're listening to. Correct. So um, Romans is written uh, by Paul, of course, while Paul is in prison in Judea, so he hasn't actually made it to see the church in Rome in person yet. Okay, so he's he's two or three years out from from being there, perhaps four, and he's his heart is for the church in Rome and everything that's going through. And of course, Paul feels called to the Gentile church, right? Right. So, but he still loves um, the Jewish believers. So he's trying to help them get along because basically what's happened is the emperor, uh, previous to the writing of Romans, um, I, th- I don't think it was Nero, I can't remember his name, um, but he basically made all the Jewish people leave Rome, whether they were Jewish believers, any, any, if you were a, a Jewish born person, you were to leave Rome. And so for five years, uh, the Christian Jewish believers were elsewhere. And then he dies and they're allowed to come back. But since they've been gone, this Gentile church has raised up in Rome. Right. And so you have a thriving um, Christian population, but there's so much that they don't agree on. And so, um, of course, the Jewish believers are still saying, well, circumcision is still important. And, um, the Sabbath is important, and this is important, and you know all the things that are part of the Old Covenant. And Paul is basically trying to help them get along. In the midst of that, he's calling them to life. He's saying, hey, I know you're starting to face persecution. I know things are hard. Um, but here's the deal. What God actually wants from you is unity. And so all the way through, he's sort of nicely, not really that nicely at times, rebuking a lot of times the Jewish believers, but also the Gentile believers and saying, hey guys, get along. This whole thing is about love. It's about unity. It's about us being in it together. And it's really not about a list of things that you do and don't do. 
So that's sort of the background of it. Okay. But what's really interesting is, and I found this with Ephesians as well, Paul's writings, when you read what Paul says about God, how good God is, how much faith he has, the hope that he has, you would never imagine that he's writing from prison. Yeah, he's he's like the energizer apostle, isn't he? Yeah, amazing. He, he really does not allow his circumstances to dictate his inward posture. Yeah. And I think that that, like in going through Romans, that's the huge challenge is, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff to sort through. And yeah, sometimes we don't feel like getting along with the person next to us and we have differing views and we want to maybe split the church over something. You know what I mean? And he's saying, actually, the whole deal is about unity and actually it's about hope and it's about love. And I, in my head, I'm like, wow, I think if Paul... Paul being imprisoned a number of times, but certainly writing this letter from prison can keep a good attitude. Maybe I can too, mm-hmm. right? So those those are sort of my thoughts uh, on Romans as we head into, I'm just going to read you a couple of different verses and tell me what you think about them. Now, some okay. of these, a lot of these I'm going to read from the message. All right. And the reason I'm reading it from the message is most of us who have been believers for a while have read Romans in whatever version we normally read in. So for me, NASB, for you, NIV or ESV. Um, and Cor- Correction, I don't read the ESV, New Living Translation. Sorry. <laughs> um, so when we go and, and read through it in a version that isn't our typical one, sometimes things stand out to us that you're like, oh, wow, is that what he was saying? I missed that because I memorized that verse, but I, I, I lost the power of it. Mm. Does that make sense? So uh, let me find the first one I was going to read to you. All right, go for it. All right, so I'm going to skip down to Romans 4. Okay. And I'm going to start at about verse 19. And this is, again, is in the message. It says, Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he had said. And my thought is that faith looks like something. Mm-hmm. Faith not only looks like believing God, but it it looks like, all right, I'm not going to ask the cautiously skeptical questions, but I'm actually going to walk straight forward into the promise that you've spoken to me. You know, I'm going to believe you and believe you has action behind it. Right. So I think what I love about that is I think, again, it's a challenge. It's, it's not only, you know, Paul speaking and writing, but he's speaking about Abraham who had a promise and waited for for decades, you know, right. to see the promise. And his what he's saying is, hey, there wasn't cautiously skeptical questions, which we we like to cloak that kind of stuff in and say it's wisdom. Well, mm-hmm. I'm just being wise, you know, I'm just I'm just whatever. Sure. But actually what we're doing is we're hiding and we're trying to protect our hearts and we're scared. Um, and so I think there's really a challenge that faith looks like something a little bit different than how we walk it out. Right. Um, and I love that. I love the challenge. I love that Paul just sort of likes to call us to a higher place. Um, I think we covered this when we were talking about hope the other week. Mm-hmm. But again, it, it just stands out to me. It's from Romans 5. And just starting at the very first verse, it says, Romans 5 verse 1. 
By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with Him, make us fit for Him, we have it all together with God because of our Master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that He has already thrown open His door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. I love that. I love the way he says it. Um, in the in the NAS, if you just look at verse 5, chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So here's the thing. God loves to actually meet us in the midst of whatever we are. And what's funny is we think, I'm risking it, I'm opening up my heart, and I'm I'm going to pour out my heart. And we find he's already responded before we could even get there. Mm. And I love it. Um, Rita Springer has a new song out. Which is amazing. Oh, it's killer. It's funny you mention that, because I was thinking, we should tell everybody to go listen to this song. We yeah. haven't talked about it. So good. It's so good. It's called Defender. And it's just such a great song, but it's it's amazing because the words at the very beginning of the song are pretty graphic. They are. So let me read the lyrics to you, just this first little bit. It says, you go before I know that you've even gone to win my war. You come back with the head of my enemy and you come back and you call it my victory. And then she says the same thing again. You go before I know that you've gone to win my war. Your love becomes my greatest defense. It leads me from my dry wilderness. And I just, I mean, I love the whole thing of like, you go before I know that you've gone to win my war. Because I think, I think again, when we're in the middle of a war, we often think we're in it by ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's like the Lord is like, hey, I always move before you because I know what's coming. You know, and and that's the thing I love about this verse too. It's like, okay, I'm going to risk it, God. I'm going to open up my heart and trust you. And He's like, I'm there in an instant because I got there before you. Mm. I love it. It's really, really good. Um, I was telling the students on the school with Romans six. I love Romans six. It's all about baptism and what baptism did. And um, I think the thing that's funny for me is it's the first passage of scripture I ever memorized, and I wasn't even saved yet. So I remember being up at the cottage and my um, uncle and aunt and their eight children were all up there. I don't know if there was eight yet at that point, but, you know, it was it was uh, Jana and all of her siblings. And uh, they would have like a little family God time every day. And I would usually sort of watch from afar or sometimes I would sort of mock them and go someplace else, you know. Yep. Um. But, you know, this time I was sort of sitting just off to the side, sort of watching them, not really participating, but listening a little bit. And Uncle Paul said, well, you know, it was one of the holidays, you know, we're up for a while. And he said, you know, whoever can memorize Romans 6 verses 1 through 5, the fastest, I'm going to give them, you know, X. I forget what X was. And if you can memorize all the way to verse 10, um, I'll I'll pay for you to go to the movies. And, you know, at the cottage, there wasn't a ton to do. And and so I'm like listening to this. And as soon as he said, I was like, Uncle Paul, can I participate? And he's like, yep, if you memorize it, I'll, you know, you can do it too. You know, I'll give you the prize. And I was like, okay. So I memorized 
Romans 6, uh, verses 1 through 10. And of course, it got under my skin. And really, I didn't understand what I was memorizing. I didn't really understand what I was reading. I thought I was just doing something, you know, to get a movie ticket. And it wasn't until years later when I got saved that I was like, I wonder if he planned that on purpose. You know, I wonder if he was being tricky um, because it would echo in my head, you know, echo in my heart because it was in there now. Right. Um, So I memorized it in the NAS, but I'll just read you a couple of verses. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And so it's really funny because the whole thing of what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? I mean, that's the argument for grace, isn't it? You know, when people are like, You mean the argument for greasy grace? Yeah, greasy grace. Like, well, you know, it's okay. You know, it's like grace is permissive. Right. Rather than grace being impairing not to sin, grace is there so I can deliberately screw up. So I can just, you know, I can do what I want. There's grace for that. There's grace for that. And I'm just like, this is basically saying, no, that's not the deal. The deal is you died with him to sin. Right. You know, and it's not supposed to be your your mission to see how much grace you can use up. Your mission is to actually live a holy life. It's, it's that whole thing of grace is there not so that you can screw up, but it's there for when you do screw up. Right, exactly. So, but I love that particular couple of verses in the message. So, can I read that to you too? Please do. It says, um, so what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into a new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. And when we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. I just, I love how, again, how clear it is that it's a different life we lead after we're baptized. And it's a it's, we're called to live a different life. It's not supposed to look the same. You know what I love? What? I love the sparkle in your eyes as you're reading scripture. <laughs> I love the excitement you have over the book of Romans. Oh, I love Romans. It's such a great book. All right, give us one more before we do some listeners' questions. All right, one more. Y'all, it's my life first. Are you Romans ready? Romans 828. Romans 828. Wasn't that your email address at some point? Romans 828 Yahoo Mail or something like that? <laughs> something like that. Yes, something like that. Uh, Romans 828 in the NAS, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those that love God and are for those who are called according to his purpose. I love it. Um, that for me, those that verse... 
was one of those things where I was like, when I first read it, I was like, God, I don't, how can you turn around all things for good? Like, how can you do that? There's so many things that they're so bad. How can you possibly make it for your good, for my good? How can you do that? You know, but he does. It's absolutely astounding to me. But honestly, I can look at every single place in my life where there was a deficit and I can see that God has Romans 8, 28 in it. <laughs> I love you. Thank you. So I love that verse. I love Romans. I'd really encourage you, read through it. Let it be life to you. Chew it over. Um, keep in mind the context as you're going through it. It helps you understand sort of what's going on. And uh, when you're getting through some of the chapters, like chapter 7, where you're like, well, that's kind of harsh, you know, just realize he's trying to deal with the disunity and the entitlement and stuff like that. And um, yeah, keep it in context and go through it. But um, let it be life to you because he's calling you to life just like he was the church in Rome thousands of years ago. In addition to that, if you want to watch some great resources, we highly recommend thebibleproject.com. We use their videos a lot when we're teaching, and they have two videos on Romans. They have one on Romans 1 to 4, and then one that sort of finishes out the rest of the book. And they're excellent, excellent resources in understanding what's happening with a book before you start to read it. And I think at this point, they have most of the books of the Bible done so that you can understand the historical context. So um, go ahead and, and check them out. They're amazing. Their stuff is just fantastic. I love you and the Bible together. Thank you. You're amazing. Would you like some listeners' questions? Sure. Okay, this first one. Yes. Only you can answer. <gasps> this Pressure. This is from somebody who asked to be anonymous. Okay. Well, they asked a bunch of questions, but I'm picking out one. I'll reply to their other questions via email. But mm-hmm. they said this, what does it mean in finding father when you say that fathers call people into life? Well, the role of a dad is to install in their children identity. It's to see what God put in them and to call it to life, like to make it come to the forefront, to tell them about it, to remind them what they're called to, um, and to speak value into them. So give give me an example of that in our lives. What do I do? How do I call our children into life? Well, you tell them all the time about how smart they are and how, you know, like, well, all of them are really smart, but like, I'm trying to use Abby as an example. You'll be like, Abigail, you're brilliant. That was amazing problem solving with that. Abigail, you're so smart. You're such a great leader. Abigail, you know, you're so gracious towards other people. Hey, you just love that person really well. It's seeing all the things that you're doing in seed form and you're calling life into it. You're, you're causing something to take root because you're watering it with your praise. That's what dads are supposed to do. I love that. It's it's the gift of encouragement and action. Yes. And I love that if we didn't have that as a child, that that's one of the things God is so good at doing in our journaling times when we're with the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. That in the absence of that maybe we didn't get it from earthly fathers, like the father's continually encouraging us, calling out things. And that's what the prophetic does. It it calls out the gold in people's lives. Yeah. And he'll often also send like spiritual dads around you and stuff like that, that will do the same thing. It's so important and we need it. We, you may be sitting there going, oh, I'm fine. I don't need it. You know, whatever. But, but actually we do, we need to hear from the father and we need to hear from people around us. We need to be called to life. And it's, it's great if that can start when you're really little with your own dad. All right. Here's another question. Okay. This is a brilliant question. Oh dear. Imogen asks, hi, Alan and AJ. I've- hi. I have a question about honoring parents. 
For the past year, I've wanted to come and do your School of Supernatural Life, and now that I'm finishing my teaching degree, I felt it was the perfect time to do so. I told my parents my plans for applying for SOSL, however, they're completely against me doing it. They feel that I should settle down and start my induction year of teaching. They also think I would be wasting the savings they gave me if I used it for study or travel, as this money is supposed to be to help me settle down. My parents were so against me applying that they gave me a large amount of money towards a car to enable me to get a real job in England. I want to honour my parents, and I understand why they would be upset if I spent the savings they gave me on something they didn't agree with, and I now feel guilt at the idea of selling the car they recently gave me. I also only have five years to complete my induction year of teaching and understand their fear of me walking away from the profession I am trained in. However, I do not feel called to the teaching profession and feel that my parents do not want to accept this. What should I do? Applying will upset them, but not applying will upset me. Okay, before we even answer this, let's just pretend you're not talking about the school that we run, because we don't want to give you biased input. We want to just talk about it as a situation. Right. Yes. In our teaching on boundaries, we we often get asked a question between, I want to honor my parents, but I don't want to disobey them. Right. And my question to you is, how many of you think that obeying and honoring your parents is the same thing? And here's the truth. Scripture only tells children to obey their parents. It doesn't tell adults to obey their parents. Yes. Now, I make the big distinction in our teaching that when I'm talking about adults, I'm talking about adults who've taken responsibility for their life. So, Imogen or anybody else who's listening, if your parents are still funding a part of your life, you haven't taken responsibility in that area of your life. I can't explain why I don't have time. If you want more information, you can listen to our boundaries teaching at alanaj.com slash boundaries. But Imogen, in your, here's the situation. You're obviously a grown adult. You've finished your degree. You're about to enter your profession. I totally understand why your parents, having uh, watched you invest time and money and energy into you know three or four years worth of, of degree into a stable career. I can totally understand why they would feel very anxious about you um, not doing that and going to the other side of the world. I totally get their frustration again. Pretend we're not talking about SOSL. I think you hit the nail on the head. A lot of the anxiety that you talk about is, I don't want to use their money. I'd feel bad about s- selling their car that they gave me for a specific thing. And I wonder if there's merit in you sitting down with your parents and just saying, Mom, Dad, I totally appreciate where you're coming from, and I really want to honor you. However, at the same time, I'm wondering, at what point will you feel comfortable with me making my own decisions? Right. And I guess, Imogen, the thing is, we also don't know, are you living at home? Do they fund your entire life and gave you a car? Or, you know, like, so there's some things I guess I'd... I'd, some more things I'd like to know. Right. Um, what would it look like if you were to not use their funds, their saving, selling their car? Would that lower their anxiety if you were to say, hey, mom, dad, this this thing is really important to me. 
I'm going to try and earn and raise the money myself and not touch what you gave me to settle down and not sell the car, but just, hey, I'll stick it in the garage or whatever, you right. know. Um, what? How would that make you feel about me taking a year out to go and do this thing? Are your parents believers? Are, are they just thinking you're off to join a cult? I mean, I can understand all of their anxiety. We need a lot more information. But at the end of the day, at some point, adults have to take responsibility for their own life. And at some point, parents have to stop trying to find uh, life through their adult children. I have no idea your situation. I have no idea your parents' situation. So I'm trying to speak in, in absolute theory. But my encouragement to you would be, it sounds like the point of dishonor would be where you are quote-unquote, squandering what they have purposely saved to enable you to have an amazing life, which is a wonderful gift your parents have done for you. So it sounds like you guys need to sit down and have this this really powerful conversation where you say, hey, this is what I would love. Can you help me understand where your anxiety would be? Or can you imagine a scenario where you would feel more comfortable with me doing this? Or are there certain things that are non-negotiables for you? And I would... I would pull in people who know you and know your family, uh, perhaps a pastor or a leader, again, depending on your environment. But uh, obviously, we're not going to we're not going to tell you what to do <laughs> because you're a grown up. Yeah. And uh, I hope that helps. I mean, that's it might be more helpful to listen to the boundary teaching in full where we, we go into the explanation. But it sounds like in some area of your life, they are funding your life, which means they honestly do have responsibility and therefore they have authority in your life. Um, my encouragement to adult children is take responsibility for your life. Um, live, not so you can go, screw you, mom and dad, I'm going to do whatever I want. I mean, you never want a heart of rebellion in what you're doing. No, but, you want clear, kind communication, don't you? But at some point, the clearest, kindest decisions are still going to upset people. Yes. Including your parents. And I think that then becomes, is your conscience clear before God about what you do? There you go. That's our best advice that we can give you. Speaking of the school... The applications are open, of course, for SOSL, both year one and year two. Um, If you are a year one graduate, of course, you can apply for year two. Um, But we'd love to have you join us at SOSL. It is an eight-month program that is designed to change your life. You can hear testimonies from students who have completed the school over at episode 152. Go to com slash 152. It's our most listened to episode in the history of our podcast. Yeah, you hear six graduates who've done um, year one, year two. They're just talking about their experience, talking about the changes they've um, experienced in the school. Uh, It's highly encouraging. If you want the show notes for this week's episode, go to alanandaj.com slash 180. And if you're not listening to this episode in the podcast app called Overcast, we want to encourage you to go to the App Store and download it now. We'll put a link in the show notes, but it's a wonderful free podcast app that is better than the one you're using now. And most importantly, it supports podcast chapters. All of our recent episodes are recorded with chapters, which means you can skip the parts you don't like and skip the parts you do like. Again, you can download the app in the App Store. Just search for Overcast. For now, have an amazing week, and we'll be back here same time same place next week. Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games. Paleo donuts and the kindness of God are things we deal with every day. 
from Franklin, Tennessee. They are just like you and me. Alan yeah. and AJ. Oh, yeah. Keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses. Sharing their life experiences. Keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses. They talk about faith in God and everything under the sun. If you are a human being, there's something here for everyone. 